Hello and welcome to this episode of Turing's Triple Helix, the podcast channel Scotland's AI strategy. I'm Will Millership and today we're going to be talking about conservation and artificial intelligence. I have with me two very exciting guests. The first is Emily Shari Tissier, the CEO and co-founder at Whale Seeker, a Montreal-based startup which is levering AI to simplify whale monitoring. And with her, I have Robin Whittock, postdoctoral research fellow at the University of Stirling. And he's working on a new company that'll be integrating AI and ecology to find new ways of valuing biodiversity, particularly focusing on African forests. So um, welcome to you both. Thank you. Thanks, Will. Brilliant. Um, so yeah, to start us off, I'd like um, you both possibly just to tell us a bit about yourself and about the work that you're doing. So can we start with Emily, please? Sure. Thanks for having me. My name is Emily Charitissier. I'm the CEO and co-founder of Whale Seeker. I'm, I'm an ecologist. Uh, any, I am not a, a business manager or, or anything like that. So I uh, created Whale Seeker really out of the need for the service myself, uh, which makes it extra interesting for me. And we use ethical AI to detect marine mammals from imagery. So um, aerial images taken from aircraft or drone, from satellite imagery or from infrared images. And our goal is to make this AI powerful enough for oil and gas companies or governments or researchers, but accessible enough so that anyone uh, who would like to have access to these tools um, has access to them. And so with this tool, we hope to give marine um, and wildlife managers access to fast, um, high quality data so they can make decisions as quickly as possible and as meaningfully as possible for their goals. Brilliant. Thank you very much, Emily. And Robin, how about you? Can you tell us a bit more about the work that you're up to these days? Thanks, Will, for having me on the podcast. Yeah, my name is Robin Whittick. I'm a postdoctoral researcher at the University of Stirling at the moment. Uh, and much like Emily, a lot of my work has been about um, surveying wildlife in remote landscapes, particularly in Central Africa, uh, particularly forest mammals, uh, using tools like camera traps, which generate thousands or even millions of images, and being able to put AI tools into the hands of people on the ground so that they can quickly extract meaningful data from from all these images. Um, you know, currently the model in, in ecology is you deploy your sensor like a camera trap, you leave it for six months and you collect the data and you somehow analyze the images. It takes six months to go through them all or longer. Uh, and then you start looking at your, your results. But AI can help us, you know, speed up that data analysis process and, and you know, extract meaningful information from the data in you know, at much faster speeds. So that's, that's my main focus. And at the moment as well, just as you mentioned at the beginning, I'm uh, starting to look at new projects where we can look at how we can value biodiversity using that real-time data. Thank you, Robin. Sounds really interesting. And you, you touched a little bit on my second question there on the advantage of advantages of artificial intelligence. So um, back to Emily for the my second question. Can you tell us a bit about um, you know how you how and why you started Whale Seeker, and about the advantages that artificial intelligence in particular gives Whale Seeker and the technology you use, possibly over other technologies? Sure. So yeah, Robin did a really good job of teeing this this up. Um, we are we are 
really on the same wavelength here. Um, Same problem, really. People who are looking to visually identify marine mammals have a lot of data to go through. And the only way to do that to date is to look at individual pictures on a big computer screen and humans do that. So this takes a very long time. This is um, imprecise just because humans are fallible and there are differences between different observers, what they will pick up. Um, even within the same day, within the same observers, I know I get tired after lunch and I might not be bringing my A game. So so one of the advantages of AI is being able to go through really large amounts of data um, and so that the decision makers can have results, you know, not in six months time where they might not be able to make the most effective decisions, but as quickly as possible. And it's also a way to standardize these data. So, you know, what is a whale exactly? You know, most people can detect uh, the classic silhouette of a whale when it's just, you know, beautiful on the surface. But what about if it's in a different position, if it's deeper in the water, if it's diving, if, you know. So there's there's a level, level of nuance that humans are very good at, but that computers traditionally are not very good at. And this is the strength of AI, is being able to bring the complexity of human decision-making um, and, and combine it with the speed of of computers. So that's that's really um, that's really the goal for what what we're up to. Brilliant. And just to, just again back to Emily again on that question is, what exactly are the imagery used in WLC? What do they use the imagery for? Um, at the yeah. Other end? Good question. So we work with lots of different organizations, and some some organizations are motivated by by values where they you know are wanting to detect whales. So conservation organizations helping to manage marine protected areas, and some organizations are mandated by law to detect whales. And so an example of this would be. Um, you know, maybe offshore development and needing to have environmental impact assessments and environmental impact monitoring to stay compliant with their with their um, approvals. And so what was interesting to us is that, you know, shipping, conservation, government organizations who need to have management plans for all of their marine mammals uh, that that they manage in their waters. Um, you know, oil and gas industries. There are so many different um, markets that need this data, and they all have the same problem, which is a bottleneck analyzing their data. And so that's really what we're hoping to solve for them, or we we are solving that for them. <laughs> Brilliant. Thank you, Emily. And um, yeah, over to you, Robin, the same question on kind of um, a bit deeper into your work and what advantage does AI give you in your work that other technologies perhaps don't? I think, you know, exactly as, you know, Emily's described for marine environments, we have exactly the same problems in terrestrial environments like forests in Central Africa. You have industry, so you have um, forestry managers or, you know, other land managers um, as well as, uh, you know, conservation groups, you know, national parks who are trying to manage the landscape and manage protection of biodiversity, say terrestrial mammals, 
um, you know, might, it ranges from everything from a mongoose to an elephant in Central Africa. And we, we want to know where these animals are, um, how many there are. And, uh, you know, we, we, we look to understand as ecologists why they're there. So, you know, the, the, what we can do if we can use AI tools uh, and speed up analysis, we can expand the, the, the areas that we're looking at in terms of research. So traditionally, you might have done you might have done a standardized approach in the forest where you walk through the forest uh, along what we call a transect, a straight line, and you count the signs of animals, say it's elephants, uh, and then you analyze that data. Um, you might, what's more recently been used, you know, is camera traps. These are automated cameras that capture images, say, of, of elephants, again, going back to elephants. Um, and you'll, you'll, you'll limit the scale of your study based on, you know, what, you know, the, the amount of data you think you can process. So you might only you might subsample your landscape and, and put out these cameras. And the AI, now that we can actually process, you know, say a thousand or two thousand images per hour using an AI tool, we can start thinking bigger and we can say, you know, let's employ let's say, deploy these cameras across an entire landscape over thousands of kilometers square of forest. Um, so the AI tools, if we can find ways to put them into the hands of, of non-experts, you know, we also, that's the other advantage actually is, you know, the AI offers, as Emily said, a, a more, we, we hope, a more sort of consistent approach to doing the data analysis. We might iron out some of the variability that you get with using humans. But also, if you're, say, a forestry concession in Central Africa and you're trying to manage, you know, your landscape for biodiversity protection, you might not have the resources or the expertise within your company to start analyzing camera trap images and identifying all the different species. But you could train someone up to use the AI tool, um, which can do it for you. So um, I think that's that's the, the main benefits that we're seeing from the AI tools at the moment. Thank you very much, Robin. So now to take the uh, the questioning back towards kind of the AI strategy a bit, as you both might know, the three tenets of um, Scotland's AI strategy are trustworthy, ethical, and inclusive. And so I'd like to you know, touch on both of you and how important do you think these tenets are in the development and implementation of artificial intelligence and particularly within conservation? Um, let's start with Robin this time. I think one of the big things that we've had to tackle and uh, get to grips with uh, in using our AI algorithms for species detection and these images from camera traps is uh, it's to do with uh, anti-poaching is a big issue, you know, issue, an important issue in Central African forests, um, or poaching is an issue. And of course, we could use our models to detect uh, human poachers or people doing illegal activities, say, in, in a forest, in a tropical forest. Um, but you know, as soon as you start doing that, you know, there are ethical issues around, you know, if you if you re revealed the person's identity and they're potentially doing an illegal activity, you have to ask, well, as am I as, say, uh, the manager of a forestry concession, is that is the choice of, of you know, giving this data to, say, uh, a, a policeman? You know, is, should that be in my hands, you know, or shouldn't that be the job of police themselves to detect crimes? Um, and how, you know, 
there's lots of other ethical issues as well, just around the fact that we do capture images of people from time to time and maybe not doing something that's highly illegal, but also maybe they, maybe they don't have permission to be in that space at that time. Uh, and again, we have to ask what will be the consequences for that person if we shared, say, the image of the person that's been identified by the AI. And of course, the AI tool might not individually identify the person, but we've, we've seen the person there. Um, and there is a lot of uh, debate within the conservation literature at the moment about about these ethical issues and you know what we should do with pictures of people um, and you know if they should if we should be sharing that information or if we sh should just automatically delete any picture of a human um, or if these tools should be given out to law enforcement officials, police or the, the military, and they can use them because they, they, you know, they're working within, that's working within their spheres to enforce the law. Um, but of course, we know in some parts like of Central Africa, uh, the law can be enforced and, you know, it might, we might be here in Scotland developing AI tools that, that might be used in a way, say, to enforce uh, a law that, that is co contradictory to what what we might see is acceptable here in Scotland. So there's loads of issues that are raised by using AI. Um, I think we can tackle them, but we all, always need to be aware of them and uh, you know continue to discuss discuss those those issues. And of course, I've focused mainly on the ethics there as part of your question. But maybe Emily has got some other opinions on the the, the other sides. Yeah, thank you for that, Robin. That was you really interesting response, and you touched on some of those issues, kind of um, like AI as a tool, but it depends on whose hands it gets into and what it's used for. Um, Emily, do you have anything to add on those topics or build on what Rob has been, Robin has been saying? Yeah, I, I do. I, I, I really, I have. We have the same problems, you know, on the marine side of things, where we. We say we have a, a, an AI tool that can detect marine mammals. We can detect different types of marine mammals. And the, the inevitable question is, can you detect shipping vessels? Can you sync it with, you know, Coast Guard data? Can you um, make this open source? And they're all, they're all very good questions. And internally at Whale Seeker, we have decided um, to, you know, to make our our stance on uh, and our values on how we deal with with imagery really clear. So we have have that on our website, but we we do not analyze anything other than marine mammals. Um, and but the other the other side of things, where maybe Robin and and Robin's work and, and our work differ, is that we don't own our data. We don't own our images. The images are owned by our clients. And so our clients come to us for image analysis, but they can do what they want to with their images afterwards. So so in, in a sense, we have an easier go of things because we don't have to make those really tough decisions about, you know, who gets to see who gets to see the images like, like Robin mentioned. Um, and an approach that we've taken is to say, this is what our tool is for. We do not support our tool being used for skirting any environmental laws or any other work that it, we perceive as going against our ethics and values. And we will stop working with the client if we detect any activities that are contradictory to our, our mission. 
But beyond that, we have really tried to educate people about what ethical AI is and and what it means. And it also means that the data are captured in a way that's ethical, um, you know, that the right private information is not shared with with the masses, that the the data are labeled in a way which are ethical as well. So that means people are pay, paid fairly for their job and, and you know, they're, they're, they've done a good job at it all the way to, you know, making sure that the AI that we develop isn't is used in a way that democratizes AI. So we've turned down projects with um, researchers and other companies who've wanted to add more sensors and more expensive videos, because that would really raise the bar of entry to any AI solutions out of the hands of sort of the every every person. Um, and we really don't want our tools to just be available to uh, the millionaires and the and the very big companies. So so yeah, it's um it's sort of looking at the the at your AI tool from start to finish and making sure that you've sort of as much as possible thought your way through those things. And because there will always be um you know, there's never going to be a perfect answer for ethical AI, but I believe the best way to tackle it is by having these conversations and talking about, you know, what are what are the the, the questionable things that we that we come across in our work, and how do we tackle those things? And and maybe with more information, we change our stance on something because because the best practices are evolving as well. And so, just acknowledging that this is you know, an evolving field and to continue to have conversations amongst peers like this, I, I think is is really the best way to go. Yeah, thanks, Emily. It's um, lots of information there. Clearly something that whale seekers thought a lot about and, um, you know, put a lot of thought into and made some decisions on. It's um, good to see. Do you have anything to add, Robin? I saw you nodding along, um, nodding along as Emily was talking there. I thought it was really interesting what Emily had to say. And I, I guess also something else that just popped into my mind was the this issue about sharing data and who gets to access that data. And, you know, for example, you know, we've made uh, open source AI tools that can just be run on a laptop. You don't even need the internet. And we have debated, you know, perhaps elephant poachers can often be quite well resourced. Maybe they, they might find a way to use the camera traps and our AI tool to improve, you know, their poaching efficiency. You know, so, you know, there's all this, there's all you're always going to find these different angles as to whether, you know, it's your AI tool is going to be used in an acceptable way. And I think some of the solutions that Emily proposed there about just having a very clear, um, you know, approach uh, to to defining what your your company can provide and, and, you know, saying that you might you won't work with someone who uses the data in a way that, you know, might not be acceptable. I think that's quite good. But ultimately, you know, once you put these tools, especially out as an available as an open source tool, you do lose control a bit of how it, how it might be used. Yeah, very much so. So I think that leads kind of nicely into um, our next question. You know, Emily's saying um, has a firm kind of um, line on things and um, has is running a successful startup already in Whaleseeker. And I know that uh, Robin is working on his journey to start a new AI company. So Emily, do you have any kind of other 
pieces of wisdom or advice to hand over to Rob uh, in his uh, journey? Um, I would say that one of the things that's really helped us frame our AI and our philosophy is becoming a B Corp. BB Corporation uh, company. And so with with this type of certification, it really takes an overarching view of your whole company to make sure that all of your practices are ethical and it's really quantitative too. So it can measure your improvement on your diversity and inclusion and are, are you monitoring your your energy? What type of, you know, how are you treating your employees? What's the biggest, you know, pay gap between the highest and lowing, lowest earners? So I, I really like this framework because I don't think ethical AI can exist within a company that is the company that is not ethical. So, so I think this is a way to have transparency and um, to really get some good guidelines on, you know, what can we set up now? What can we move towards? How can we be better without having to reinvent the wheel? So I, I, I would suggest that as something to look into, but I, I would be really delighted to, to have conversations with you as you, as you, you know, form your company that think it's so exciting and there's so many parallels. So I'm very excited for you. Thanks, Emily. No, I hadn't heard about that that framework, and I think that sounds like really good advice. Yeah, I'd definitely like to discuss that more. You bet. Um, Brilliant. So um, good to see we can make some nice connections between, um, you know, between Canada and Scotland. There's so much exciting things going on in the AI world at the moment. Um, so now to focus on Scotland a bit, this is the Scottish uh, AI Alliance and Scotland's AI strategy. So um, Robin, I wanted to ask you a bit about kind of the Scottish AI ecosystem and um, how do you think it's, um, has it been a good place for you to, um, you know, develop your AI skills and build your AI company? And if so, uh, how so? So we're at the absolute, you know, beginning in terms of developing the company. So, you know, I haven't yet even started to recruit within Scotland for um, AI engineers. But, you know, before that, to be honest, I ended up reaching out uh, outside of Scotland and I partnered with, um, well, a company in Poland called Absalon, who who helped develop our first AI model that we used in Gabon. Uh, and then... Uh, more recently, in the last sort of year, I've been working with a company called Q42 in in Holland. So actually, weirdly, I'm just beginning to try and understand the the the, the AI scene in Scotland myself, despite having been based here. Um, but already, I can see, like with this initiative, um, that it's something that's growing very rapidly. Uh, and I think, especially in environment, in the environmental sector, and in the uh, ecology conservation sector as well. There, there are new com- new companies um, who are who are starting up uh, at various places, and I, I can see already. I've had early sort of conversations with them, and I can see there's actually a lot of expertise that we we're going to be able to draw on. Uh, and even within the University of Stirling, uh, within the computing sciences department, uh, AI, big data, deep learning, all of those all those top topics are becoming um, you know bigger and bigger. Um, and I don't think I'll have any difficulty um, finding the right people to work on the project. Brilliant. Thanks for that, Robin. Yeah, I touched on it there, um, there, Robin, about kind of the the growth and the different areas, big data, et cetera, of, um, 
the growth in different sectors uh, within not just Scotland, but um, within AI. And so I wanted to kind of ask you both, what do you think are the most important areas for conservation and in AI, um, both in your own work and at the wider level in the next five to 10 years? Um, maybe we can start with Emily on that. Sure, I think I think AI is such an important tool for conservation because it's, in my opinion, really the only way to scale um, and, and, and conserve large areas in a really thoughtful way in terrestrial or marine environment. Um, and so I guess just in my world, we're talking about, you know, conserving 30% of the ocean by 2030. At the moment, about 6% of the ocean has been designated and only around 3% have has actually been enacted as a, as a marine protected area. Um, but there are no scalable solutions for monitoring these protected areas, which are going to cover vast, remote uh, areas of the ocean. And so I'm I'm wrestling with how effective is this conservation plan if you don't have any tools for enforcing it or or or, or maybe even making sure that those marine protected areas are doing their job. And, and being effective. And in order to make those decisions, you need just a mountain of data that is going to take a long time to go through if we're just basing it on, on human analysis. And so this is the tool that will allow us to analyze huge areas of the earth, deal with mountains of data, complex data and so that our wildlife managers can make the best decisions in, you know, maybe not real time, but quasi real time. Um, and I think really AI is the most powerful tool to be able to scale up conserva wildlife conservation. Brilliant. Thank you, Emily. And Robin, same question to you. What do you say? Pred predictions for the future? Yeah, I think Emily is absolutely right, and especially in, in terms of AI and the field of computer vision, you know, imagery analysis from satellites, from cameras, from our kind of cameras. Um, you know, narrowing it down a little bit more, I think there are still some challenges with using AI, and um, I think a lot of the developments in the field of AI are based on, you know, model data sets. Um, and transferring those developments to, to real data sets that can be very noisy in how they're labeled. And, um, you know, it, it pre presents a lot of challenges. And, uh, you know, there, there are other more, uh, other similar problems, you know, interpreting the outputs of AI models is still a big challenge. You know, uh, it, it doesn't, you know, it, the, uh, any AI model will never be 100% right. Uh, and one of the big challenges we have is, you know, when we, we spit out, you know, a result for a photograph classifying the species that's in that photograph, we might have, the, you know, the top three uh, results. But uh, a land manager needs the top one result and they need to know how certain that top one is. Uh, and so I think there's there's lots of room for, for development in terms of, you know, just actually putting the, the models into the hands of end users and helping them understand the outputs. Uh, as well as actually developing better AI or computer vision models themselves. Brilliant. Thank you, Robin. Yeah, a good sentiment there, um, kind of always room for improvement, basically. 
and you can't you know can't afford to make mistakes sometimes so you know have options but yeah we're getting to about all we have time for so um just to wrap up i wanted to hear kind of what the next steps are for both of you in terms of your companies so um starting with whale seeker emily what are the next uh, next steps yeah so our next steps are uh, going to be collaborating with um protected marine protected area managers so that we can uh, make sure that our tools are available to um, you know, creating new marine protected areas and managing existing ones. We are working with uh, shipping companies to create a pilot program to detect whales in real time so that those captains on board can make real real-time decisions. And we can also get a better understanding of where whales are across the across the entire oceans, not just close to the shores where a lot of eyes are. <laughs> um, uh, I'm, I'm really excited about this new project that we have, which is a pilot program to develop a carbon credit plus system for whales. So whales are a very important part of the ocean uh, ecology and contributing to ocean health, especially phytoplankton as one of the main uh, carbon sinks of the world. Each great whale sequesters in its lifetime about 33 tons of, uh, of carbon as well. So there are there's this huge natural capital um, resource, but the, the way that the carbon credit systems are set up for terrestrial ecosystems haven't been haven't been created for moving migrating mammals uh you know around the world and so we are we're working with some very exciting uh partners on this to develop a pilot program that can hopefully be replicated and uh scaled to incentivize people who are not currently monitoring whales to monitor whales and to hopefully offset those costs for them as well to make more environmentally uh, conscious decisions in their business practices. Brilliant. That sounds like a great initiative. I'll, um, I'll put a link to it in the description so our readers can uh, read a bit more, our listeners can read a bit more about it. Um, yeah, sounds like a great project. I'll, I'll certainly go away and read a bit more about it too. So, Robin, um, for the, over to you for the last word. Um, I know that you're off to Gabon soon. Um, so what are you going to be up to there and what's next for your company? Yeah, so the new company we're working on in many ways is very you know, similar to, to what Emily was discussing there. You know, one of the outcomes of the, the COP26 climate conference in Glasgow there in December was that, you know, just looking at carbon alone and looking at protecting forests for their carbon value really isn't enough. And we need to also be looking at the natural capital value of biodiversity as well. Uh, and one of the biggest challenges to doing that has been this, you know, these time lags, these delays between collecting data, quantifying your biodiversity somehow, how many gorillas you have, how many elephants you have, uh, and then coming up with a number. And by the time that's done using our you know, standard ecological approaches at the moment, you take that to an investor who might want to invest in protecting a forest for its carbon and then additionally its biodiversity, and it's a few years out of date. And they're saying, well, how can we put a value on that, which was three years ago? Maybe there's no more gorillas. Maybe they've all been hunted out. Maybe, or maybe there's double the amount of gorillas. So 
and want to work on technologies that can feed us, you know, that real-time data from the forest. Uh, and we can identify how many gorillas there are, even identify individuals, and then start to look at ways of, of, of taking that to, you know, financial markets and valuing that biodiversity. Brilliant. Yeah, real, real-time real analytics seems to be a big issue for both of you, both in the sea and on land. So yeah, it's been a real pleasure to have you both on the podcast. I'm afraid that's all we're going to have time for today, but um, it was really nice to meet you both. And yeah, hope hope to have you back on or possibly at the next year's AI Summit, we'll, we can try and have a session on conservation. Thanks, Will. That sounds wonderful. Thanks, Will. That was fantastic. Thanks.